Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of child murder that some people may find disturbing. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It was a hot September day in 2007, and nine-year-old Ali Kanani was in the car with his family. They were cruising through their hometown of Baghdad when they rolled into Nisora Square, one of the city's many public plazas. There, they had a massive traffic jam. Several armored vehicles blocked the road. Inside, white men with big machine guns looked over the cars. Ali was used to seeing American soldiers, but strangely, these men weren't in uniform. As his father Mohammed looked for a path out of the square, Ali saw a small sedan roll toward the blockade. Then the armed men opened fire. Bullets rained down over the sea of cars. Ali curled up in the back seat moments before a bullet smashed through the windshield. After a few minutes, the shooting stopped. Silence settled over the traffic until Ali's cousin screamed from the back seat. Ali had a bullet wound in his skull. The family rushed to a hospital to try to save him. But just a few hours later, Ali was dead. He wasn't a victim of terrorism or conventional warfare. His killers were private military contractors who operated where police and soldiers couldn't. On the day Ali was killed, their client wasn't some seedy corporation. It was the U.S. government. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. This season, we're asking, is someone trying to institute a new world order? And have they already succeeded? As we discussed last week, the alleged connections between the Illuminati and the NWO proved to be a hoax. But that doesn't disqualify other groups from potentially being part of the New World Order. From espionage rings to banking magnates, today we'll try to identify the real power brokers who have shaped the United States and the world. All to answer the question, if it's not the Illuminati, who else is trying to implement a New World Order? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. 
In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time? Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere, and then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. A private company signs a contract on one side of the world, and a nine-year-old boy dies on the other. While these two events don't seem connected, the death of Ali Kanani tied them together. Perhaps a single, secret group linked other seemingly disparate events. Besides the Illuminati, many modern organizations have been accused of trying to implement a new world order. The United Nations, global banks, and even Greenpeace have all fallen under suspicion. But these days, few organizations attract as much skepticism as the U.S. government. Conspiracy theorists speculate about secret dealings in Washington, D.C. They question who really holds power behind closed doors. And these suspicions aren't completely unfounded. In fact, it's possible the NWO was part of the U.S. government from the beginning. Many point to the Freemasons as part of the New World Order, and many Masons were founding fathers. Nine members signed the Declaration of Independence, and 13 put their signatures on the Constitution. Another 33 Masons were officers in the Continental Army, including General George Washington. But Freemasons probably didn't intend to make the United States an NWO front, just like the Illuminati wasn't plotting to overthrow the Catholic Church. It's more likely that revolutionaries needed a secure place to meet and Masonic lodges fit the bill. However, the colonies were filled with other secret societies who were trying to overthrow the old world order. In the mid-1760s, King George made enemies of many British colonists in North America. He upped their taxes over and over again and refused them representation in Parliament. He saw them as British subjects, and there was nothing they could do about it. Except the colonists did do something about it. Around 1765, nine rebels in Boston founded a secret group committed to gaining independence from England. They called themselves the Sons of Liberty. They set out to harass British loyalists and eventually start a revolution. The Sons of Liberty formed chapters across the colonies. Within a few years, the group boasted hundreds of members, including famous revolutionaries like Samuel Adams, Paul Revere, and Benedict Arnold. But to the British, these weren't heroes. They were domestic terrorists. Throughout the late 1760s, the Sons of Liberty sent anonymous letters demanding resignations, often with implied threats of violence. The group even looted the mansion of Boston's lieutenant governor to try to scare him away. But their most infamous act of rebellion was a tea party. On December 16, 1773, over a hundred colonists, led by the Sons of Liberty, boarded several merchant ships anchored in Boston Harbor. They dumped over 90,000 pounds of tea into the water, which hit the British tea companies right where it hurt. 
their pocketbooks. The Boston Tea Party significantly upped the tensions with the British. And a little over a year later, in April 1775, the hostilities culminated in the outbreak of the American Revolution. The Sons of Liberty instigated one of the most consequential wars in Western history. As we mentioned previously, this was exactly what conspiracy theorists claimed the Illuminati did in France a few years later. While those claims proved to be false, it's possible the NWO did establish a foothold in the U.S. before it even existed. Once the revolution began, George Washington himself created another shadowy group to bolster his campaign. And without them, the American colonies may have lost the war. By 1777, the revolution wasn't going well for the colonists. Britain had control of New York City and seemed poised to defeat the American Continental Army. General Washington was desperate for information that could turn the tides. He recruited a small group of civilians and veteran officers as spies. They used ciphers and invisible ink to hide messages. The techniques allowed them to gather intelligence right under the nose of the British Army. The secret team, called the Culper Ring, marked the beginning of American espionage, but also pushed the limits of federal power. Washington believed he had the right to protect the nation through any means necessary, including reading people's mail. He told his spies, quote, Contrive a means of opening letters without breaking the seals, take copies of the contents, and let them go on. This power to spy on citizens persists in U.S. policies today. In 2013, National Security Agency whistleblower Edward Snowden revealed the existence of PRISM. Like the Culper Ring, the program read mail, digital mail, and not just from a few sources. PRISM collected all of it, even yours. To pull this off, the NSA scooped up data from Microsoft, Google, Facebook, YouTube, Apple, and others. Everything from emails to photos, videos, even search histories. It was unusual for private companies to let the government in so deep, and it raised concerns. This was a classic Hegelian dialectic. The NSA presented a thesis or problem. Al-Qaeda terrorists used the internet to communicate. The antithesis or response was the desire to enact secret legislation that allowed American officials to surveil those communications. The synthesis, or solution, was PRISM, a dragnet computer program that captured all internet communications, including ordinary citizens' personal correspondence. Using Hegelian dialectics, the government granted themselves more invasive power. Both the Culper Ring and PRISM rested in the hands of a small federal group, maybe even the NWO. And Washington isn't the only president who tapped into unauthorized power. Kennedy sent a clandestine force into Cuba at the Bay of Pigs. Nixon dispatched an undercover burglary team to the Watergate. Reagan's stealth commandos bungled the Contra affair. Obama directly approved confidential drone targets and Trump dispatched covert border patrol teams to quell civilian protests. 
It's easy to see how the NWO could transfer power to each new administration, like a puppet master tying old threads onto a new marionette, especially if they've been pulling the strings since the very beginning. We don't know if the NWO had connections to the Sons of Liberty or the Culper Ring. Both groups disbanded after the revolution. But many members traded the shadows of secret societies for public service. That's the reason we know who they are today. Famous men like Washington, Jefferson, Franklin, and Adams. But the definition of the New World Order is that it's a hidden group that stays out of sight. So if the NWO was behind the birth of the U.S., its success meant its members were in the spotlight. They needed to find new ways to hide their power and ensure it lasted for generations. The solution may have been to manipulate the American government and seize the ultimate authority for themselves. Coming up, the NWO reportedly rises to the brink of global domination. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility and some implausible ones too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances, Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere, and then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. Now back to the story. In 1787, the Founding Fathers created a new federal government, the United States. The revolutionaries who'd once met in the shadows to plan their sedition were now the most public figures in the country. They built a system of checks and balances. The president answered to Congress. 
Congress was responsible to the Supreme Court, which was in turn appointed by presidents. No single branch could make decisions on its own. Or so we think. In the early days of the U.S. government, authority rested in the hands of just a few men, the Founding Fathers, many of whom went on to become presidents. If the NWO could control the executive branch, they could command everything. And for the next 80 years, they greatly expanded their power. In 1803, U.S. President Thomas Jefferson bought some land with taxpayer money, 827,000 square miles of it to be exact. This was called the Louisiana Purchase, and it doubled the size of the United States overnight for just $15 million. But Jefferson didn't actually have the right to purchase land with federal money. According to the Constitution, the Treasury was controlled by Congress. Still, Jefferson believed the purchase was more important than the need to debate the constitutionality, so he ignored it. After all, the Constitution didn't prohibit him from getting a good deal on a piece of property, and nobody stopped him. While the Louisiana Purchase seemed like a great deal for the U.S. government, it was cataclysmic for Native Americans. Indigenous people resided on the land Jefferson had bought, but that didn't stop settlers from moving in, along with the army. The government created reservations, regions of desolate land where Native Americans were forced to live. The horrific stories of relocation and torture are far too numerous to discuss here, but the reservation system still exists now. And today, Native Americans have lower life expectancy and higher poverty rates than any other demographic in the U.S. In addition to taking a human toll, Jefferson's decision set a new precedent for federal power. Eventually, the government's right to expand territory established legal concepts like eminent domain. This policy says that the government can take your land for a price they set. For example, the Trump administration used eminent domain to strip many Texas landowners of acreage to build a border wall. Others in Connecticut had their homes raised to make way for a pharmaceutical company. And sadly, in both cases, most of the seized land wasn't even used. Essentially, the United States government seemed empowered to do what it wanted, when it wanted, no matter who was in the way. This may have made the U.S. the perfect tool for the NWO to expand its control. However, a decade after the Louisiana Purchase, England challenged that sentiment and tried to reclaim its lost colonies in the War of 1812. While British forces managed to burn down the White House and the Capitol, the Americans ultimately won the war. But the War of 1812 made it clear that if the United States wanted to be a global power, they needed to draw a hard line. So in December 1823, the fifth U.S. president, James Monroe, made his stand before Congress. Monroe had been in the halls of government since the Revolution. Like Washington and Jefferson before him, Monroe was an original founding father, which meant his message came from the innermost circle of power in the U.S. In his remarks, Monroe outlined a new American policy that came to be known as the Monroe Doctrine. 
In simple terms, the doctrine was a warning that the so-called New World, an inaccurate name for North and South America, was to be left alone. Any European aggression or attempts at colonization would not be tolerated by the U.S. Eighty years later, in 1904, President Teddy Roosevelt expanded on the Monroe Doctrine. He said that the United States would use force to maintain stability in Central America. But unlike Monroe, he didn't even use European aggression as a pretense. Just the nebulous term stability. In the following decades, the U.S. moved armed forces into Panama, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Haiti. In 2002, President George W. Bush expanded the concept even further. In the aftermath of the September 11th attacks, Bush maintained that the U.S. had a right to preemptively defend itself by deploying armed forces anywhere in the world. Each president built on the policies of his predecessors to maintain U.S. hegemony. The NWO couldn't have hoped for a faster and more expansive buildup of power. Until something happened that even the NWO couldn't foresee. A global war. In 1918, the end of World War I had a resounding effect on the globe. Citizens and government leaders alike were shocked by the carnage in Europe. It was the bloodiest conflict in history and came to be called the War to End All Wars. If the U.S. government was a front for the NWO, they were probably dismayed that a global war could affect their agenda. In an attempt to prevent future armed conflicts, President Woodrow Wilson proposed an international group led by major governments, a precursor to the modern United Nations. He called it the League of Nations. However, many believed that the League and later the UN were all a ruse. We don't know if Wilson was a member of the NWO, but his actions fit their goals. The possibility for an international governing body would make them giddy. Except Wilson failed. The American people rejected the League of Nations. The U.S. Congress voted against joining the global power structure President Wilson had envisioned. And there was nothing he could do about it. This seemed to prove that even if the New World Order controlled the U.S. government, it couldn't control people's votes. Even today, the United Nations struggles to stay united. Each government pulls in different directions. With a democratic system, whether it's the U.S. government or the U.N. Security Council, power is beholden to the people. Politicians can't reliably manage judicial and legislative decisions. One bad election and they lose their power. Of course, the NWO could be behind dictatorships, but they rarely last, especially when they attempt world domination. Napoleon and Hitler ultimately failed in their military campaigns. Communist regimes struggle to maintain a functioning economy without massive foreign investment. The Soviet Union collapsed, North Koreans face starvation, and China relies on American consumerism. The most long-lasting and powerful nations are democratic. So if democracy prevents the NWO from taking power, and autocracy, fascism, and communism collapse, they need a different tactic. Which may be why another secret group tried a different approach around the time the U.S. failed to join the League of Nations. 
A group of bankers learned that power didn't really lie in elected office, but in the world's wealth. Coming up, the NWO sets its sights on the global economy. Now back to the story. For two centuries, secret societies in the United States worked to influence the federal government. As a result, a long tradition of secrecy permeated the halls of the Capitol and the White House. However, under Woodrow Wilson, the limits of this influence became apparent. Government authority was beholden to bureaucracy. Legal red tape and congressional oversight made it impossible for one entity to have unilateral control. But after the Industrial Revolution, the discovery of oil, and the vast growth of the stock market in the early 1900s, a new battlefield emerged, the global financial system. In the late 19th century, the oil and manufacturing industries made millions overnight. They wielded fortunes that no single person had ever possessed in history. For the first time, rich individuals could buy entire islands or swaths of territory by themselves. They made Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase look like pocket change. It became obvious that if the NWO wanted to control the modern world, it would have to control the money. Up until this point, wealth in the United States was measured much like it had been in medieval Europe, in land and resources. But in the early 1900s, the stock market turned currency into something intangible. But the actual bills, coins, and gold bullion weren't on Wall Street. And in 1910, the United States didn't have a central bank. Every financial institution in the country held stacks of cash at their location. That was a big problem if companies suddenly needed an influx of funds during a recession. Wealthy executives and investors were concerned. If they couldn't get real money to pay their workers and suppliers, they might not survive. After a particularly severe economic panic in 1907, a group of American bankers got together to achieve a single goal, control the wealth of the country. And here's the kicker. They did it in total secrecy. In the fall of 1910, Republican Senator Nelson Aldrich invited a small group of economic thinkers to a secret retreat he called a duck hunt. The meeting took place at the exclusive Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia. Nobody knows for certain who organized the use of the private island, but many believe it was banking magnate J.P. Morgan himself. The six men included a partner at J.P. Morgan's bank, the president of the enormous National Citibank, and the director of Wells Fargo & Company. Since Aldridge knew their connections to Wall Street would draw suspicion later, they only used first names. The so-called duck hunters were on a deadline. In just a few weeks, Congress was meeting to discuss possible reforms to U.S. financial laws. The men knew they needed to have their plan locked down by the time Congress was ready to vote. Over the course of a week, they woke up early and worked until long past sunset, all in the richly furnished rooms of the Jekyll Island Clubhouse. By the time their so-called duck hunt was over, they'd created the foundation of what they called the National Reserve Association. Their plan seemed simple. 
there would be a single central bank that would hold the cash reserves of all the banks around the country. That way, there wouldn't be any delay for rich companies and individuals to get their assets in tough times. In short, this one bank could control the cash flow of the entire United States. The men wrote a draft of a law that would put it into effect. Then, Aldrich sent the entire package to Congress. With just a few tweaks to the language and the name, President Wilson signed the central bank into existence in 1913. Today we call it the Federal Reserve, or simply the Fed, and it's the central financial institution in the United States. Every dollar bill or check in the country passes through the Fed. But the Fed does far more than handle your money. It's one of the biggest economic engines on the planet. The intricacies are complex, but essentially, the Fed can control how much an American dollar is worth. Since many other currencies rely on the buying power of the dollar, the Fed can easily affect the global economy. They can influence the stock market, foreign currency, and even the value of your home. Think of it like a circle of dominoes, and your mortgage is one of them. The Fed's interest rate is another. In between are stock market prices, bank loans, and many other financial services, but none of them stand alone in the circle. Even though it doesn't directly set mortgage prices, the Fed's interest rate changes how banks loan money. So if one of the biggest dominoes falls, like the Fed or a giant bank, all of them might fall, including the price of your home. This happened in 1929 when the stock market tanked. It happened in 2008 when the American mortgage market collapsed. And today, the global financial system is so interconnected that we can't possibly know who is controlling each domino. But we do know that the Fed is one of the biggest influences, meaning it could be a key source of power for the NWO. And it all started with six wealthy men controlling the country's cash. While the Fed's power might be disconcerting, the Jekyll Club also set a far more terrifying precedent that is common today. Banks and financial lobbyists are literally writing their own laws. In 2013, the House of Representatives passed a bill that would undo some of the limits that were put on the banks after the 2008 financial crisis. But over 80% of that bill was written by Citigroup, one of the largest banks in the world. Their lobbyists wrote proposals for the legislation and gave it to members of Congress. Some paragraphs were literally copied and pasted from Citigroup documents into the law. In 2019, a two-year investigation revealed more than 10,000 other proposals for legislation that were written almost word for word by private companies. Over 2,000 of them were signed into law. Banks and politicians were working hand in hand. With that level of overlap, the NWO could maintain power simply by scheduling a few meetings or maybe an annual dinner. Every January, a group called the Alfalfa Club hosts a dinner for its members. They include billionaires, politicians, Supreme Court justices, and military commanders. And they all get to chat with each other over cocktails and lobster. One member even said, quote, It's not about business, it's about relationships, which is about business. 
When the rich and powerful get together, it's always about business. And if the NWO is in the room, that business is likely nefarious. But as we continue exploring the connections between wealth and the NWO, we have to address an insidious trend. A lot of the discourse about global banking quickly devolves into anti-Semitic dog whistles. In the aftermath of World War II, the whistle got louder than ever. With the foundation of the United Nations and the State of Israel, conspiracy theories exploded about a Jewish NWO operating behind international banks. We don't know if a new world order manipulates the global flow of money and power. But we can say that many of the wealthiest people in the world are not Jewish, nor are the vast majority of global leaders. And there's no real evidence of a Jewish NWO. It's more likely that anti-Semitic sentiments simply found a new outlet in New World Order conspiracies. But questions still remain around the connection between money and power. In recent years, global wealth has been funneled into the hands of a few individuals. And it's common knowledge among the rich that they can legally exploit political systems to keep a grip on their family's money. This leads to generational wealth and keeps power in the hands of a few. For instance, Abigail Disney, an heir to the Disney fortune, wrote an article in 2021 that shed light on the mystery of how the affluent maintain their funds. Spoiler alert, they use loopholes to avoid paying their share in taxes, but in very complex ways that we definitely don't have time to cover here. Disney said, quote, not a single one of the documented methods and practices was illegal. What's worse, these methods and practices are so commonly applied that most rich people don't see them as unethical. Basically, the wealthiest people just know more about loopholes in the tax code and pay lobbyists to write laws that ensure that those loopholes never close. So, to summarize, the structures of government are too complex for a single entity, like the New World Order, to control. Elections and bureaucracy can derail the most carefully laid plans for consolidating power. But money is different. It can remain in the hands of a small group. These wealthy individuals use companies to control banking, media, and even their own armies. Which brings us back to Ali, the nine-year-old Iraqi boy who was murdered in September 2007. The private contractors who shot Ali were employed by a company called Blackwater. Its founder and manager, Eric Prince, was called to Congress to testify about the killing. Prince maintained that his employees had done nothing wrong. But the courts disagreed, and four of the men who opened fire in Nisor Square went to prison. At least for a few years. But Prince is the brother of Betsy DeVos, a wealthy member of the family that runs Amway. In 2017, DeVos joined the U.S. government as a member of President Donald Trump's cabinet. Just three years later, President Trump used an executive pardon to release the convicted Blackwater contractors. It seemed justice for Ali was fleeting. He was murdered because of a decision made by a private company, and the killers walked free because of an order from a president. And that company and president were linked 
by a single wealthy family. We don't know for sure how political leaders and rich private citizens influence one another. But we do know they talk to each other, and often. Many of them are connected through family, friends, and secret clubs. And while no single group seems to have achieved a global New World Order, private entities can manipulate federal power. Business magnates and companies have the legal means to influence politicians, elections, and policies. So it's possible that there isn't one NWO, but many. Luckily, we can follow the clues to unmask them, because these groups tend to use the same tactics time and again. All we have to do is recognize them. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time to explore the question, what tactics does the New World Order use to take power? Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Andrew Messer with writing assistance by Ben Caro and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new Spotify original from ParCast, Disappearances. Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances, and even murder. We'll journey through the many reasons people disappear. Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.